Welcome to Pink Door Culture Club, your eclectic entertainment guide. My name is Jeremiah Burns. Today, it's our first time looking at a TV show, and what a show it is. It's an absolute must-watch that I've seen all the way through twice and enjoyed it both times. John Doyle from the Globe and Mail newspaper described the show as at once minimalist and epic, an increasingly tense exploration of free will and corporate sadism. It gains a thriller-like momentum as it moves along and can be disturbing enough to be nightmarish, yet still maintains a modicum of mischievous wit. Most of the episodes in Season 1 were directed by Ben Stiller, who The New Yorker said is emerging as a preeminent television auteur. The show is Severance from 2022 on Apple TV. Remember that if you like the podcast, please subscribe, like and share and feel free to be in touch via the Facebook page or you can email me at pinkdoorcultureclub at gmail.com. The first segment of Pink Door Culture Club is called Spellbound where we think about what makes Severance so interesting and engaging. And first up, it's just the central concept and tone of the show. The basic idea of Severance is that you can undergo brain surgery that alters your memories according to geographic location. So you can enter the workplace with no memories of your home or your outie life and leave the workplace with no memories of work or your innie life. And I reckon that's a it's a really fresh and compelling take or combination on a bunch of science fiction ideas to do with consciousness and free will and and human human nature. The overall tone is is really dark, but there is lots of humor and absurdity woven through the show that keeps you laughing uh, and also intrigued. Um, you don't find out in season one what the goats are all about, for example. A second thing that's great is the plot, the pacing, the tone. You know, the central concept is unpacked and explored quite gradually. A lot of the reviews talk about this being a slow show, but it gives you space to kind of consider lots of different angles on the idea that's being presented and to think through its implications, um, you know, in, in a thoughtful way. The speed kind of builds over the season and there's lots of little like cliffhangers and twists that build to a really thrilling conclusion that's quite satisfying. And all the way through, there's this constant riffing on the theme of work-life balance and the drudgery of corporate life and the nature of corporate control uh, woven into the plot, which I think is really well done. Third thing would be the characters and the acting. Um, they've, they've been uh, really well-reviewed well-received critically. There's a real um, physicality, a really strong physical presence to the actors. Just their look and their intensity, I think, um, you know, the match between the actors and the characters is is great. And I think the range of the characters in the ensemble and the way that they play off each other is, is great. So you've kind of got Mark as the lead character who is, he's like a really nice guy versus Seth who's really intense and can be really overbearing and controlling as well. You've got Dylan who wants to play by the rules of Lumen Corporation versus Heli who wants to overthrow them. You've got uh, Harmony who's trying to keep everything under control at the very top versus Rickon who's on the outside and he's kind of this completely 
you know, laughable but profound author. Um, And then you've got Mark and Devon, the brother and sister, who are constantly contrasted with Rickon. So they're kind of sarcastic and biting, whereas Rickon really, you know, he's very earnest about all of his ideas and wants people to take them seriously. And I think the overall ensemble lets, lets them explore, like, lots of different approaches to work and and to rest and to and to living and the the acting the acting is really strong uh, throughout and then finally the the visual design of this show is amazing the corporate headquarters the the building the museum within it the statues within it the paintings the office cubicles the workstations the the lighting the uniforms they have this very you know bleak uh, gray minimalist kind of aesthetic and then within that there's a whole bunch of detail all of the office paraphernalia the swipe cards the lockers the workstations what's actually on the screens kind of very old and retro in its presentation all of the trinkets that the workers earn and win through their efforts the overhead projector the vending machine the trolley the intercom it's all it all ties in and builds this very interesting believable world and it fits also with the kind of vision of suburbia as well like there's a there's a kind of kit home suburbia very drab very predictable very depressing where mark lives and all of that incorporates a lot of symbolism so the way that the corporate headquarters are laid out is like a uh, like a brain and then within mark's um, apartment the fish tank itself kind of is symbolic of the the separation between the selves. Sometimes when you watch it the second time, the symbolism is a bit heavy and a bit too much, but overall the visual design contributes to this, as I said, really interesting and believable world. The second segment of Pink Door Culture Club is called Rear Window, and the idea is to look more closely and think more deeply about the meaning or the ideas within severance. And the big one is work-life balance or work-life separation. And I guess as I was thinking about this, I was thinking there are some times and places where there's like a big focus on staying healthy by keeping work and life separate. You know, you should have clear hours and have a separate location and there should be separate equipment and you should be taking your holidays And I remember going through a time in my life where I wanted to be really clear about that. So actually made sure that I wore a tie to work and at the end of every day I would take the tie off before I rode my bike home as a way to say to myself, you're at work now and now you're not at work anymore. And that that was helpful. Um, It's interesting talking with new mothers and often I hear them say that one of the things they like about going back to work is the chance to escape and do something different and be part of a different world. It's interesting to think that for them, that's like a really positive, empowering thing to have this very distinct separation between the two worlds. Uh, In the show, that's kind of presented as problematic. Although Mark keeps saying, I like it. I like the fact that it can be separate. I don't want to think about my life all the time and I don't want to think about my work all the time when I'm at home. Um, and so he's kind of, at least to start with, in favor of it. And it's interesting to think of the benefits of that and the fact that some people really do enjoy that. I think it's harder to do that with work from home becoming more of a feature. 
and um and for many years now obviously like mobile technology so um for me you know it's a luxury but to have like separate work and home phone is really helpful because then i'm not sort of mixing messages or emails together on the same device and i can like put one away in my bag and and not have them mixed together and and obviously if people can have separate spaces within their house and there's been like that boom in people wanting to have the separate bedroom or the separate study where they can have their work um, that's a way of having that separation i guess the the question that the tv show poses is does it does it mean that you forget if the distinction is too clear and too distinct doesn't mean you forget your moral or ethical framework like do you just enter into the workplace sort of saying, this is just a job. I just have a goal to do, to complete. I, I'm not thinking about what I'm doing or whether it's right or wrong. I'm just here to do it and then go home. Like push too far. That is problematic. And I think um, the show, you know, pushes that much further and in a science fiction way, but it raises that question helpfully. Like along, if you kind of flip it around the other way, there's increasingly a big focus on bringing your whole self to work and being open about your beliefs and your passions, but also your weaknesses, like being vulnerable in the workplace. There's a lot of talk about that, a lot of emphasis on that. And you see that reflected in things like Are You OK Day and the focus on mental health, which seems to be a positive step forward that, hey, you know, our lives aren't always bifurcated into these two different places and worlds and inevitably one affects the other and we should feel free to be open about that and there's a I guess a positive side to that but maybe raises the question or the the downside is when that goes too far and everything bleeds into one so that it's unclear about you know when are you on or off the clock all of the activities get blended together all of the friendships and relationships um get blended together and you can end up sort of expecting too much from from work um i've seen it's interesting to see different reactions to people getting a redundancy at different uh, workplaces where i've been and and how much weight people put on some of those workplace relationships on one on the one level i think that's like a really good thing like you spend all your time at work it's great to have good friends there i'm not like against that but when you expect something of work that it isn't meant to deliver or can't deliver, then it seems to be a problem as well. And and I do wonder whether the big push to sort of dis- disclose more about yourself and be vulnerable means that you can actually end up disclosing too much and losing sight of the, the employment relationship that, you know, yep, we, we want to know all about you. We want you to bring your whole self, but we do need you to do this job and you can disclose too much or be too vulnerable perhaps um, or there's a, or there's a risk of that my, my other thought on this is like is there like a class or job category layer to this with middle class white collar um, professionals trying to integrate everything about their life and say oh we have to be one person everywhere we go versus like a blue collar worker understanding and celebrating the fact that work has limits and is separate like a I could be wrong, but I don't like. I, it it feels to me when I've observed tradespeople working, like they're really happy to clock off and be like, "Right, I'm I'm going to go and have a beer now. I don't want to be at work. I'm clear that work stops here." Whereas in middle class 
white collar work that it's kind of the focus and the celebration is like, let's mix everything together. I don't know what the answer to that is or, or what the further thought on that is, but it's just interesting to think about maybe the class layer uh, to this, um, yeah, this idea. And, and also like more generally the Judeo Christian worldview, I think brings an interesting perspective here where there is a clear distinction between work and rest. Like in the book of Genesis, it's interesting that God works, like he makes things. And then like he has a day where he's like, okay, I'm done now. I'm, I'm resting and just sort of sitting back and relaxing and appreciating the work that I've done. So it's interesting that some religious traditions and broader worldviews have this work-life separation built into them uh, to some extent. A second thing that I was thinking about when I was watching this show and reflecting on it was just the problems with work. Like the view of work in, in this show is pretty bleak. It's funny. It, there's a lot of humour in it, um, but but it is a kind of bleak humour. Um, and work seems like so central to who we are, like seems really tied to human identity and flourishing. Again, the Judeo-Christian perspective would say, well, that's because God is a worker and humans are made in his image to bring order into the world, whereas perhaps a secular perspective would emphasize the benefits in terms of evolution and survival and the satisfaction that comes through something like psychological flow. And Severance seems to be highlighting like there's something often wrong with work. Um, And that could be like a really specific and modern thing that's wrong. I think the show's kind of pointing at corporate structures and saying like that's the problem and there there does seem to be issues there it's interesting um to i haven't read the book i'm good at talking about books that i haven't actually read um (laughs) but i've watched the interview with the author and um it's interesting to read about uh the book called bullshit jobs Uh, here's a summary from wikipedia in bullshit jobs american anthropologist David Graeber posits that the productivity benefits of automation have not led to a 15-hour work week as predicted by economist John Maynard Gaines in 1930, but instead to bullshit jobs, a form of paid employment that is so completely pointless, unnecessary, or pernicious that even the employee cannot justify its existence, even though as part of the conditions of employment, the employee feels obliged to pretend that this is not the case while these jobs can offer good compensation and ample free time, Graeber holds that the pointlessness of the work grates at their humanity and creates a profound psychological violence. And in the show, I guess you're kind of exploring that exact experience through the character of Heli. Like, she's like, what is this? What? <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing. What are we doing here? This is so stupid. Does, does anyone know? And the answer is no, they don't know. Um, so it seems to be a great way of exploring the fact that either, yeah, there's something about the the workplace that's gone wrong. There's something about work that's gone wrong. And like one way of thinking about that is to say, okay, that is a specific thing. It's maybe more profound and more widespread now than usual, or it could be a more general thing. Um, you know, the modern world makes it worse, but there is something deeper uh, that is broken about the world, something deeper that is wrong with the world that extends um, beyond work but includes work and makes it less satisfying than we want it to be. 
So, yeah, I think the show's got some interesting reflections there on the problems with work. And then the next one that I was thinking about is control. The show is a lot to do with control versus free will. And I was thinking about what is the severance playbook for control, whether it's corporate control or political control or relational relational control. Um, here, here's some of the playbook. I think it's one, provide a myth that is compelling enough to inspire people without conveying any real meaning because the you know, I'm thinking in the show, like the Lumen Corporation, there's this whole mythology around Egan and uh, how, you know, it's so great to work there. But, like, it's not really clear what they do. No one knows what they do. Um, so there's a compelling, inspiring story, but it doesn't it doesn't really provide any clarity. I have seen a great um, video on YouTube which is an ad for any corporation. And it's this generic kind of feel good ad that could be used almost in any setting for any, any uh, modern business. And it kind of makes that point really well that, you know, you can say a bunch of these words that don't really help people, but they, they maybe provide some inspiration at the top level. Secondly, if you're going to follow the severance playbook, you atomize tasks so that people don't really understand what they're doing or why. So you break work down into such small parts that, you know, it's quite it's quite meaningless and, and alien. Oh, and like I said, with Heli, not even something that can be comprehended. Um, thirdly, you keep people separate and you tell them stories about each other so that they don't interact or understand each other. And the characters in the show obviously work against that at different points, but there's a lot of mystery about, you know, what do those other groups do and aren't they bad? Didn't they do something awful? Or was it us who did something awful? A lot of mystery and ill ill feeling towards each other. Uh, fourthly, you control the physical environment. So, you know, which areas you can go into and for how long and when you can go there and how you can go there. And then lastly, of course, you watch people very closely and you reward them constantly or you punish them constantly so that you're reinforcing good behavior and you're punishing um, aberrant behavior. Uh, and, you know, and that's pretty, that is probably the darkest moments, I think. Those are the darkest moments of the show when they kind of get into, into that territory um, in the break room. So, yeah, you, you provide the myth, you atomize the task, you keep people separate, you control the physical environment, and then you watch and report, reward people uh, constantly. And I think that paints a pretty vivid picture of a way that you can control people. Um, you know, again, there's a lot of humor in there, but it's it makes a good point. Like, these are ways that people can be controlled and shows what happens when that goes too far. Some thoughts I had when I was trying to think of think more about that and think, okay, what are some counterpoints to that or some other ideas on that is there seems to be a bit of a tension between the modern focus on diversity and then this concept of control. Like some level of uniformity and control is at the core of the working relationship. Like at some point you're you do need someone who can say, hey, we need to do this now, not that. And, hey, I need this to be different to what you're currently doing. So, there needs, you know, even if it's not the traditional chain of command, there does need to be some kind of agreed thing we're working towards and someone who's directing it or some way of agreeing on that. Um, yeah, and I, I uh, you know, 
but there's a big focus also at the moment on diversity and everyone sort of bringing their own ideas and doing things their own way, which is useful and there for a reason. Um, but I guess I, it's interesting to think about at what point does that come into tension or clash with the idea that we all have to get this thing done? Uh, perhaps one's about how we do it um, and one's more about what we do. But yeah, I th- think there's something interesting there. Um, also, maybe also at what point do corporate values stray into trying to regulate the inner life of employees in an inappropriate way? Like I can see the value of corporate values and I can see that, hey, you do want people to like feel motivated and to be having good intent in what they do. But at what point can you, like to what level can you regulate that? And at what point do you need to say, okay, you know, <laughs> we can control this behavior and this other thing, but we can't actually control people's minds, um, you know, and obviously Lumen's try- trying to do that. Um, yeah, and it's being spelled out in a really dramatic science fiction way, um, but it does raise a good question. My, my other thought when I was thinking about the, this control issue is that workplace dysfunction is not just a top-down issue. Like in the show, it's a top-down problem. You know, they're, they're the baddies at the top, but, you know, we we want to break free. And in my experience, like dysfunction can come from the top, but it can just as easily come from the grassroots. Like people who are really difficult to work with and causing problems that are not at the top, you know, they, they, they may be at any level of the organisation. So I reckon there's something more general and human about that. Um, another thought is that the confusion about work and like, what are we doing and who are we and how does our work connect with their work? That could just be a function of size and how long the organization has been around rather than any deliberate conspiracy. Um, so that, you know, again, the show, yeah, for dramatic purposes presents it as a conspiracy, but in my experience, like that could just be this organization is so big and has been around for so long. It is therefore so complex just hard to know what we do or how it relates to what they do. And um, I think the show captures the experience well, but often the, the, the cause of it can be quite different. And then lastly, um, you know, changing things in the workplace, especially in a big organization and leading that and managing that in my experience is harder than it looks like. It's easy to see that the grassroots and be like, oh, I'd do that differently. Or like, why do that? Why are they doing that? Or let's change it. Let's let's completely do it differently. And then when you go to do that, you realize, oh, this is a lot, this is a lot harder. And you end up making the same mistakes sometimes, and realizing, oh, there's like a reason they did that. Um, so yeah, perhaps that's just my anti-revolutionary sentiment coming through. But um, some quick thoughts on on control. Finally, a very quick point. Um, to finish for this segment is around analog technology. In the show, when I was talking about the visual visual design, you know, there's a lot of analog technology, like old retro technology, like the camera that they use, the video camera they use, the overhead projector, the computers. It's all very, it's all very old. It's all very analog, and I actually think that gives it a timeless quality. And I was thinking about this. You, I, I was watching the original Alien, Ridley Scott Alien movie the other day, which again has a lot of keyboards that are physical, and it was it it was um, it had stood the test of time. Like that depiction of technology had stood the test of time, 
And I was thinking there's something timeless about things that are tactile. As a human, you kind of look at it and you know what it does and you're less concerned that it's not digital because often when you depict things that are digital, they just age really poorly, Um, whereas analog seems to have this timeless quality. final segment of Pink Door Culture Club is called The Man Who Knew Too Much, where I list off some other interesting trivia that I discovered in preparation for the show, usually straight from IMDb or BuzzFeed or some other website like that. So three quick ones, because this has been a longer episode than normal. First one, the computer terminals used by the macro data refinement team have no escape key. There's not an escape key on their keyboard. And as I said, like a lot of the visual design contains symbols. So the thought is that this might be a bit of a a symbol of the fact that they can't get out of the facility. Um, Secondly, uh, Adam Scott, who plays Mark S, said that the cast didn't know that the musical dance experience lights were installed on set. They didn't know the lights were going to come on. So when they were first turned on, everyone was completely surprised, but they just rolled with it as they did that dancing sequence, which is one of the highlights of the show, I think, that dancing sequence. And apparently a professional uh, choreographer uh, was involved in teaching Seth and and, and, other, and others. Um, and then lastly, the cast and crew actually watched a real neurosurgeon do some surgery so that everyone would understand how the severance chip would have been inserted uh, in real life. And the same neurosurgeon uh, uh, can be seen in episode two. Okay, so we're at the end of this episode of Pink Door Culture Club. Go and watch Severance if you haven't already. If you have, go and re-watch it. It is, it is amazing. Remember that I'll be publishing the season's recommendations ahead of time and we're almost at the end of this season so those recommendations will be up soon and that you can follow along um, on at pinkdoorcultureclub.com or on the Pink Door Culture Club Facebook page. You can also be in touch with me via that Facebook page or you can email me at pinkdoorcultureclub at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.